This is Shane Gibson's podcast from ClosingBigger.net. Today we've got a guest on the show. It's Larry Chang, and he's the best-selling author of What They Don't Teach You at Stanford Business School and CEO of Duck9. He's also uh, been invited to speak at top universities now that he previously wouldn't have even been admitted to, which is a pretty great accomplishment for Larry. And I also heard a rumor that he started off selling used cars. So he's going to share all that with us and much more And really focusing in on today, hopefully what I want Larry to talk about today is a little bit about the power of mentorship. So Larry, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Oh, sure, Shane. Great to be on your show. So let's start off with what they don't teach you at Stanford Business School. How did you come up with the idea for the book? And uh, what was your process putting it together? And where did the lessons come from? This book literally came together on its own, and it wasn't the, the uber difficult process that most authors go through. The reason for that is because my mentor, Mark McCormack, who started IMG, yeah, that IMG, the one that's uh, originated the sports agency industry, whereas before they were just lawyers drafting out contracts. Now they're at the 360 degrees of management with sports agency, Mark McCormack. He wrote, What They Don't Teach You at Harvard Business School changed my life when I read it. And, well, of course, when I reread it and read it and read it and reread it, putting my book together was super simple because it was uh, paying homage to him because he wrote his book in the early 80s, and I basically just freshened up the content and referred to his material and what they don't teach at Harvard Business School by Bantam. Great. Now, how did you work that out with Mark? How did, that, how did you come across meeting him? I mean, he's, you know, to say the least. Just reaching out, right? Just reaching out uh, in the old days, it was in the late 80s, it wasn't email access or you know, it was barely even facts. Uh, just reaching out and just being his pen pal and, and saying, hey, I enjoyed the book, I had a question about this. And fan mail is just, it's, it's that, that flickering light that is like a bug light where all authors gravitate towards their fan mail. That's very true. <laughs> yeah, we love to hear I know that. this because I've got three fans, so I'm trying to groom that <laughs> third fan. Boom <laughs> better. <laughs> From a mentorship perspective, and I think maybe maybe actually before we go that, for those people who, um, I've read what they didn't teach you at Harvard Business School, and I read what they still don't teach you at Harvard Business School, and I'm looking forward to reading oh, your book. And Mine's pretty online at Business Week. Yeah, great. And so uh, what's the domain for them? To How do we find you? How do you – what's your blog? Just type in Larry Chang. Just type in Larry Chang uh, just into any search engine. In um, From a mentorship – from a book perspective, maybe give us those, – those people who haven't had the opportunity to be exposed to methodologies, give us a quick snapshot of what's covered in the book. Uh, sure. Uh, chapter one is you're, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't go to business school. Chapter two is uh, treasure management. And the reason you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, is if you do go, you go, but you get a ton of debt. I mean, to a decent business school, you're incurring a ton of Plus, maybe you're not working, and that's killer because your opportunity cost is huge. Or if you don't go, then you don't get the knowledge and the network. And my book um, seeks to to dispel the catch-22 of that by getting you the network, getting you the knowledge without going. But chapter 14, so one is you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. 14 is you actually want to go, but with house money. And house money is uh, money that's made, that's a profit, and that's chapter two, treasure management, where 
if you're doing things because you're trying to pay off a debt, you're going to be making decisions based on that debt. And debt, last time I checked, okay, makes everybody dumb. Whereas playing with house money, being unemotional about money, Gordon Gekko in Wall Street talks about, uh, the movie Wall Street talks about how uh, you never get emotional about money. And I have actually a moviography instead of a bibliography because who wants to read a book that causes you to read 40 more books or cites 30 to 40 more books? Whereas I wanted to have a book that cites 15 to 20 movies. So I have a moviography in the book. But chapter three is about cutting and pasting other people's work, uh, which is uh, done in a value-added way. Four is about networking. Uh, And chapter five is about mentorship uh, and getting a superstar mentor, a cohort mentor, which is at your same level. Chapter six is about sales and how to sell in a way that non-tech people or tech people can use or non-salesy people use, or if you're not born a salesperson, which I believe most people are not born a salesperson. Uh, So chapter six is about sales. Chapter seven is about how to get lucky. And uh, it also addresses sex and uh, delaying gratification, which uh, unfortunately a Stanford alum, Tiger Woods, did not read properly. (laughs) (laughs) In chapter eight, it's about karma and then on down. Great. So let's talk about mentorship. Uh, I do seminars, a lot of seminars on mentorship and how to have an effective mentor-mentee relationship. And people, the the question often is, uh, you know, how do I get a mentor? And then for right. those those that have a mentor, um, they'll say, how do I get a real, you know, a serious mentor, a super mentor? How do I get one of those guys? Like, you know, you've landed an industry leader, uh, someone who actually started an industry as a mentor. And so I guess what, were the, what are some of the things or, or tips you could give people on finding the right mentor uh, and, and, sure, and what got, that relationship like, looks like? Sure. Um, I've got uh, – and what that relationship looks like, I, I, I can parse it uh, – a half a dozen different ways. Sure. Uh, one of the things that really gets uh, people going with this is that once the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I think that was in some kung fu movie that I saw that I just ripped off. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's absolutely. True. I think I saw the yeah. same movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and a lot of really of my some of my favorite movies. Before I get into hard hitting street smart tips on on mentorship, but a lot of movies. If you look at the, the dynamic of the movie, if there's an older actor like uh, Paul Newman and a younger actor like uh, Tom Cruise, there's mentorship. Or in Top Gun, where there's that push-pull arc of character development, there's somebody above him pulling him along. Even Star Trek. I mean, this gives me goosebumps when Captain Pike was recruiting uh, the junior James Tiberius Kirk to be uh, a Starfleet uh, enrollee because that was a mentor relationship and Absolutely. his father, yeah. And his father, uh, the original George Kirk, uh, mentored Captain Pike because he wrote about him in his PhD dissertation. So mentorship happens a lot in movies, even monsters, Inc. Uh, the Pixar cartoon, uh, it had a mentor relationship. Uh, the CEO water news was teaching, uh, lead monster Sully, because Sully would say, hey, look, do you want to see me do the water news jump and growl? I mean, he had a patented move that he actually uh, mastered. And so mentorships in a lot of really interesting movies, too. Great. 
So, and some street smart tips? Yes. Uh, one, uh, of course, when you're ready, uh, students ready, the teacher will appear. And the way to get ready is to consume a lot of the stuff, or in my opinion, all the stuff that your mentor has, has looked at, has taught, has read, has written down, has uh, spoken about, and consuming that uh, in a way that it feels like you already know the guy. That's killer for when you're approaching him with a compliment and one question, or maybe three compliments and one question. You got to, people should definitely write down this formula because up till now, maybe this podcast has been uh, fluff. I want to start getting some <laughs> hardcore hitting material. Fluff sells, that, man. <laughs> <laughs> what sells? Fluff sells? Oh, Absolutely. that's okay, yeah. <laughs> but but if you're contacting and reaching out to a person via Twitter, via Facebook, uh, via a letter, which is what I used, uh, just snail mail, regular post, mail post letter, is is three compliments or two compliments and a question. Okay. Uh, so your attention, interest, decision, action is attention. Uh, this is me giving you a compliment. Uh, interest. This is me giving you another compliment. <laughs> decision. Uh, will you think about maybe answering my, my 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 next question? And action. Hey, I had a question about uh, sales, or I had a question about uh, how you attract a mentor. And by the way, before I forget, my email address. If people want to reach out to me, it's just Larry at LarryChang.com. And people don't believe when I hand out my email address. In fact, every page on the left-hand page of my book has my email address. Put your cell phone number in the subject line, and I'll look at every email with a cell phone number in the subject line just because it, it, it cream rises. Great. So getting a mentor, three compliments and an email address, or in an email, two compliments and a question. And after a person speaks... Statistically, less than five percent of the room uh, emails them. Yeah, I him or her. I concur with that for sure. And in your handing it out, um, and I've even done tests where I hand out my cell phone number and see who calls afterwards. Um, handing out yourself, handing out an email address, and then seeing how who follows up with an email. And I recommend two or three days afterwards. I know it's sort of like dating, right? <laughs> Don't contact the person that you just heard speak for another two or three days. Yeah, and then if they don't answer that first email, less than one percent re-email that same author, speaker, expert, and re-emailing them in a campaign to try to get access to your mentor is critical because it it separates you from the the one hundred other people or in a room of four hundred, let's say the Canadian Chamber, four hundred people in a room, four maybe four will email afterwards. Four to six will email. One or two will even send a second email if that first email is unanswered. So that's my little street smart tip for getting access and deal flow to, to mentors. Great. How do you know a mentor is right for you and vice versa? What's, what's some of the things that, you know, someone's searching for a mentor. Um, let's say it's a, it's a new entrepreneur and they're looking at being successful in their industry and there's a, there's a few super mentors they're approaching. But how do they know when they've found the right one? There's not always a fit. Right. Usually the, the, the thing that people talk about with relationships is it's timing. Uh, same thing with a mentor. And most people love the, the, the sexiness of a, of a name brand mentor. Hey, uh, Mark Cuban's mentoring me. Or, hey, uh, Stephen Covey's mentoring me. But in reality, I mean, 
unless you're one level below Stephen Covey or or rising potentially above Stephen Covey, Stephen Covey's not going to want to help you. I mean, he actually is really gracious in extending time, and so is Mark Cuban. But but if you're just starting off and you're just starting off looking to be an entrepreneur, timing's critical. And the way to maximize timing is to get a mentor that's one or two levels above you, even one or two levels below you as an entrepreneur. And I know that's blasphemous to say, but getting a cohort mentor is absolutely genius. You couple the cohort mentor. So there's three types of mentors. Actually, there's four, but I'll talk about the four, which is actually not so great, the fourth. But there's a superstar mentor. That's the person who's your name brand mentor. There's a cohort mentor. That's a person who's near at your level or maybe one or two levels above you. That is critical to try to woo and access. And I'll talk about tipping, bribing, comping, and tipping a mentor after I talk about that fourth mentor. There's also a junior mentor. That's the five-year-old kid who knows how to play an Xbox or uh, download an iPhone app or a sales app or something yeah, on Someone knows how to, if you, you know, if you're 55, it's a 22-year-old who can set you up on Twitter, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's a great example because you're the exec, you've got to learn from junior mentors and the smartest people in the room, okay, learn from dumber people like me on saying, oh gosh, you know, this is how to, to do this really uh, specific thing. There's also a default mentor. A default mentor is a person who's constantly uh, espousing opinions that you, by default, uh, if you don't get a better opinion to wash over their old opinion, that's the opinion that you go with. That's a default mentor. That's a fourth mentor. Um, and then in talking about uh, an entrepreneur just starting off or a salesperson just starting off or somebody just leaving university, talking to a person and, and treating that cohort mentor as a superstar mentor because a person who's five years of experience above you is a wealth of shortcuts and knowledge. And that's what I sought to, to do with my book is to give people a bunch of shortcuts on their way to, to doing better in their career. The way to get access to a superstar mentor is to remember that that tipping, bribing, comping, and tipping, if people want to Google that phrase, there's a bunch of street smart strategies that are in there. Tipping, bribing, comping, and tipping your mentor, even though the person's uber successful already, okay, recognition is something that that most superstars uh, – in their, I don't want to say giant egos, but, you know, large personalities, crave is recognition. Crave is, is, uh, is acknowledgement of, hey, you helped me a ton. And what I do is I watch the show Entourage and this thing called man charm. And unfortunately, I didn't, I don't know how to charm a man from a woman's point of view, but we'll talk about man-to-man charm. Clearly not for a relationship except for business. Yeah. Purposes is man charm, and comping or and gifting to a man a gift for hey you know you helped me out a bunch with that intro to this entrepreneur or this organization that helped me land this client let me send you this gift basket or thank you for including me in this movie or letting me audition here is uh, a bouquet of flowers and doing that or thanks for answering these last ten emails. Okay, that really helped me land this deal with this publisher, with my book, and doing my book launch. Here's a token gift. And people think that a gift under $1,000 or under $200 or under $100, so long as there's thought involved, okay, even a thank you card. 
critical. Go buy, if you're just starting off, go buy a box of thank you cards and send them to people that really haven't even helped you and watch how much they help you after you give them a thank you card. The amount of money that you have to pay for tuition is a fraction. I mean, throwing a gift or a comp out or, or even offering uh, a social event, hey, I've got two tickets for you, not me and you go together, but I've got two tickets for said sporting event or said uh, social event. Would you like these? People that are VIPs, they love to say no. It makes them feel great. Yeah. If you're giving them stuff, yeah, if you're giving them stuff that they say no to, they remember you uh, just because you're different. Now, let's roll forward to the sales perspective. I think this is an important okay. topic, and I think it's actually tied in. When you talk about campaigning for, for mentorship, um, you know, that's a sales skill in essence. Uh, right, like so, lead generation. Yeah, and so what, what were some of the sort of couple, two or three takeaways from uh, things that you've included in the book that kind of stand out from a sales perspective? It's critical to remember and know that the best thing that you can do for your career is, as a non-salesperson is have a couple of sales skills. Uh, presentation skills, critical, um, just even taking a two-year uh, two-year stint in sales if you're a 20-year engineer, it's critical. I mean, what is it, 80% of CEOs came from sales? Uh, I mean, the numbers are astoundingly leaning towards having a few sales skills. So that's first and foremost because the, the knowledge isn't hard. But the other thing that's tough, that's, that's is critical and important is learning to love no and seeing a no as a huge money maker because there's pain there's emotional pain from a person who's trying to sell something who gets a temporary no versus viewing that every temporary no as if as getting paid x amount of money so if you close a sale and you make thirty thousand dollars and you hear 10 no's before you get to that one yes and you're really getting paid $3,000 for every no and getting more no's. And the person named Jim Rohn, uh, yes. Rohn, R-O-H-N, yeah, the inspirational speaker's author from 70s, 80s, is look at how successful that person was. Look at all he did. And part of what they're doing is temporarily failing, which is actually my chapter 11, is how to fail forward. And that's really those two things are huge for sales because sales is relatively easy if you can handle the temporary no's. It is an emotional game, absolutely. And I think that's what <laughs> yeah. the, the mechanics of sales, um, you know, are, are easy to lay out. Um, but, you know, definitely being able to deal with, with that rejection uh, and realize that, A, it's temporary uh, mm -hmm. and, you know, B, it's, it's awesome feedback on our sales process as well is really key. Right, and in your book, I mean, you address a lot of these things in Closing Bigger, right, where if you're closing a huge account, I mean, it takes forever, and you're going to get 30 no's before you get that big mammoth, you know, thank you, yes. Oh, absolutely, and it's a, you know, I often joke with people that, you know, some of these really large deals, to beat your competitors, all you have to do is just not quit because, <laughs> <they'll>, <laughs> you know, it might not even be a better solution. It's just that you, you've decided to go back for that eighth meeting uh, with the same guys to get that deal closed. Absolutely. So it is, it's a, it is a battle of attrition for sure. So I don't remember if I read this in your book, but uh, using second supplier gambits, uh, where you're the second supplier, where you're calling on a business, calling on a plant manager, calling on a CEO or a CFO, 
as, hey, I don't want to be your primary vendor. I want to be your second supplier. And they say, excuse me? Well, I want to be the go-to guy should your current guy drop the ball. And I don't want to sell you anything now. I just want to be a resource for you, and I just want to mentor you uh, on these three things that I am an expert in. And if you agree to the second supplier situation, then the mentorship and the education can continue uh, with these two teaser things. Yeah. Second supplier. That's a great strategy. I mean, and it's, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, I'll often tell, I'm, I work a fair bit uh, in the insurance industry, uh, both with, you know, underwriters and brokers and um, particularly brokers. And, you know, one of the big things is that, you know, I tell them, like, don't go for all the business initially. Um, you know, I mean, hey, if the opportunity is there and they've been asked for tender, that's a whole different scenario. But this is the mm-hmm. this is the company you're trying to break into. Uh, they're already happy with their existing supplier, and you're pitching them on taking all the business uh, instead of finding two or three products too that they're not necessarily <laughs> utilizing that you can sell in there without having to have them fire their existing supplier, which is very difficult sometimes. So that and very you know, difficult. I mean, it, it's a personal relationship. And no matter how good we are at service, I mean, I don't know if you've been here and I've been here. Is that no matter how good we feel we're at service, we drop the ball, and every company will do it. And if our if there's another second supplier there on the wings, uh, that's where they could scoop up the business. And so I think it is. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a good strategy. Yeah, I mean, it's not even you don't you set aside the fact that you will ever even fail just because you succeeded in getting to second supplier, and that's deal momentum or sales momentum or mentor momentum for getting that mentor, getting that sale. So let's, um, what I'd like to do is kind of wrap this up here, but also um, just a final thought. You mentioned karma. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, what what was your concept of karma? And, uh, And then let us know as well how to find you again on the net. Sure, I'll start with how to find me. It's just my email, Larry at LarryTang.com. And if and you just go to Google, you'll see it and C-H-I-A-N-G. include yourself. C-H-I-A-N-G. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's all with an I in front of the A. Karma is, and since we're talking about mentorship, mentoring down and offering uh, what you know and aggressively seeking a student, it creeps people out because, I mean, how many times have I given my email twice? And I actually do answer it, which even creeps people out more when they Google and they find my cell phone number, they call and I actually pick up. Uh, and granted, sometimes I put people on hold temporarily, but I reach out. There's a karma in mentorship. There's a karma in reaching out because once you have helped, it's some like weird dynamic where I discovered it when I was coaching little kids for baseball. Once you help a kid uh, you, I mean, your knowledge doubles and triples. I mean, when you, what was it? See it, do it, teach it. So once you see it, I mean, it seems common. Once you do it, uh, you know, a couple things that you didn't, nuances that you didn't think uh, were there are there. And once you teach it, every little nuance bubbles to the surface because you see other people's learning curve. And once you see their learning curve, your learning curve just explodes. And when you want to get access to a superstar mentor, you ask a person congruently. You ask a person with conviction, hey, I really need to get your help with this. I mean, you kicked butt when you came to Vancouver and you spoke at uh, YPO or EO. And I really need to, uh, to ask you. I, you know what? I don't need to just ask you. I need to meet you. 
and that's another thing with uh, with mentorship is closing for something via the phone. A lot of people close for something via coffee, especially if they're in the same town. I always I always ask for 30 minutes of time or 20 minutes of time. Uh, I say, well, would you like to maybe meet me for a coffee? But instead, some of my issues are pressing enough where can you talk to me on the phone for a wedge of time, maybe five or ten minutes? Huge, because once they talk to you on the phone a couple times, then meeting you for coffee is something that they're pushing for. And premature coffee is okay, but premature it. coffee. I love that. <laughs> Sorry, it's a, a new term. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal premature coffeeification. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Chapter seven is about sex, so I mean, I do address sex-related topics in the workplace. But premature coffeeification, uh, getting a person on the phone, easy to do. Even very important people, easy to do if you've got a particular agenda, draft it out, five, ten minutes, um, fill that. And also a lot of people, they're talking on the phone way, way, way less because email and text messaging are biting into that time. And and getting them on the phone is, I believe, easier. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I think the phone is is actually. Some people say it's harder to get through to people, but I think if you can get their ear, it's it's easier to connect on the phone. I mean, I find a phone actually a phone conversation a lot less effort than sitting down and writing someone an email, uh, or or getting in the car and going for a coffee for sure. Right. So, Larry, look, thanks a lot for taking time out of your busy schedule and uh, Shane was great making some Enjoyed time it. to share with us about what we what you what you won't learn at Stanford Business School. Uh, mm-hmm. you can again find Larry at larrychang.com and uh, I am going to well, I'm looking forward to receiving my copy of the book here and uh, then I'll be writing a review on it as well. But thanks a lot for coming on the show and have an excellent day. Awesome. Thank you. Great. This is Shane Gibson from Shane Gibson's podcast at closingbigger.net.